The difference between having a great quarter, making your number, or reporting a bad quarter often comes down to the effectiveness of your sales team's discovery calls and demos. But how do you make sure your reps are doing the right things on their calls in order to finish the quarter strong? Well, introducing Gong.io, the number one conversation intelligence platform for B2B sales teams. Gong helps you ensure your reps are doing deep discovery calls and crisp sales demos by recording, transcribing, and analyzing their calls. And Gong allows you to understand how well your playbook is being followed and analyze how well it's working so you can constantly move the needle on your win rates. Now, if you request a demo of Gong as a result of hearing this message, you'll get a free ebook copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling, 10 Essential Steps to Accelerate Every Company's Sales. So go to gong.io forward slash accelerate to request your no-obligation demo and get your copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling. Again, that's gong.io forward slash accelerate, G-O-N-G dot I-O forward slash accelerate. So go there now and come back and enjoy today's episode. It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 514, 514 of Accelerate, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Hey, if you like the show, it really helps out. You took a moment, subscribed, left a review for us. We really want to know what we can do to make this a more valuable experience for you. So uh, just do that quickly on the, the app that you're using, listen to this conversation, and uh, really appreciate it. Now, if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 514 forward slash 514. And you'll see there that we provide detailed timestamp breakdown of this and all the conversations that you hear here on Accelerate. So if you hear something during the conversation, you want to go back and reference it, that'd be a place to go. That'd be andypaul.com forward slash 514. So joining me for the second time on Accelerate is Tony Hughes. Tony's the founder and managing director of RSVP Selling, which is based in Australia. He's a very widely read blogger and the author of a couple books, including The Joshua Principle and his latest book, Combo Prospecting, the powerful one-two punch that fills your pipeline and wins sales. Now, Tony's one of the smart guys about sales, and I invited him onto the show to talk about combo prospecting. It's a high-energy read. I enjoyed going through it. He shares a lot of interesting perspectives and new data about sales, and yeah, makes us talk to him about it. So let's get started. Tony Hughes, welcome back to Accelerate. Thanks, Andy. So good to be back on the show. Ah, great to have you. And you're joining us all the way from where in Australia? Uh, from from Sydney. So compared with you in New, New York, it's actually tomorrow. So I'm coming to you from the future. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm on the West Coast offices of the great Accelerate Media Empire. So uh, yeah, a little, little closer to you today. So That's great. So, Okay. First question I ask all my guests this now is is in your mind what's what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? Well, it's not a it's not a single challenge. There's a whole collection of them, but we we all know that selling is just getting harder more and more. Especially B two B salespeople are missing their numbers. But if I had to distill it down to one thing, I would say the biggest challenge that salespeople have. Uh, is the challenge of breaking through to the people that they need to get to. Um, they need to break through to the people that, that they can help. Uh, every buyer out there, when they themselves come to work today, face this white wall of noise, which is just paralyzing, you know, just absolutely paralyzing for them. So they're bombarded with uh, e- email and people trying to run outreach programs to actually get to them. So for a salesperson to be able to cut through is a huge challenge. All right. We're going we're gonna to talk about both those issues because – um, 
I agree and disagree at the same time with, with the premise that it's harder, but we'll get to that. So you've written a great new book. It's called Combo Prospecting, the powerful one-two punch that fills your pipeline and wins sales. And for people who are reading this, I mean, you can just sense Tony's enthusiasm and excitement about the, the topic. The, the content just comes rushing off the page at you. So job well done. But so a question I was going to ask for you know people listening is like, okay, so prospecting. It's sort of the topic du jour, right? I mean, so why do we need yet another book about prospecting? Well, if you go talk to, um, you know, a thousand salespeople and ask them, what's the number one problem that you're facing? The the answer that almost all of them will give is that they don't have enough pipeline. And Andy, the thing that you and I know is that not having enough pipeline is a symptom of deeper issues. It's not actually the problem itself. It's actually a a symptom of the fact that uh, people don't have the right mindset, they don't have the right narrative, they don't have the right activity levels. Um, and every seller, I believe, needs uh, a minimum of three times whatever their sales quota is, um, ideally at least five times, to really take the pressure out of selling and focus on finding alignment with the dream um, profile of prospect rather than than uh, trying to force fit You know what it is that you take to market. So, um, th- that that's the reason the topic is so important. People think their number one problem is not enough pipeline, and they're really trying to solve the issue. So, but to that point is, is and I know the answer to this because I've read the book, but tell the audience what you're saying that hasn't already been said before. Well, in one sense, there's really no new truth, right? So, um, but the, the thing I found is this, is that um, as I work with my clients all around the world, there's there's this insidious cancer that's creeping into business. And, um, and, and I call it the rise of the silent sales floor. Um, as I go onto sales floors, there's just so few people actually on the phone creating real conversations with people. And there's been this, this false dichotomy uh, that's been raging away on the internet of, you know, is it social or is it the phone that people should be focusing on to be successful? And the reality is it's both. Um, Kenny Madden actually coined the term the social phone. And if you think about it, the, the original social selling tool was the telephone. Um, and what we're wanting to do is to create a, a human engagement with people. Um, the, the thing I see so many sellers doing is they is they get busy in social media and on platforms like LinkedIn, um, posting, um, making comments, connecting to people. Um, using Twitter. And yes, we need a strong social um, brand. Um, About three quarters of anybody that we run uh, any form of outreach with will go and have a look at us online. They'll actually research us before they choose to return the phone call or actually engage with us. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that what they see online really supports that value narrative, you know, that we've got. So we do need to be active in social. It's an incredible research tool. Um, you know, you can do huge levels of research in a very short period of time today. Um, and we need to show insight. So not only do we need a good brand, but we start to set we need to start to set the agenda on the value that we provide by by actually writing some content and attaching ourselves to the the brands of other people that our our market really respects. So so social is important, but what I find is people have created this massive focus on it, and they they've they've tended to treat the phone like it's covered in spiders. So they they just don't want to pick up the phone, and uh, you know we're we're rapidly approaching the point where there's going to be more um, cell phones on the planet than there are people, uh, and, and yeah, I think uh, we may and, have done already. 
I will not across the whole planet, but certainly in the West, I think, you know, that's already happened. Um, but, but the reality is, is that, um, people will answer the phone. They, they, they carry a cell phone with them and there's tools out there that make it possible for us to go and, um, find people's mobile phone numbers relatively easily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very powerful. Well, so that speaks to a question that you brought up early on, or the question I want to ask, what you brought up early on is, yeah, I don't think I buy into this whole argument that it's harder today. I mean, I think it's hard, right? It's, sales is hard. I mean, that's, there's no way around it. Sales is hard. But you know, I don't find it's like harder to reach prospects than it was, let's say, pre-internet days. I mean, there were barriers to be able to get to people. I remember early days I was selling as, yeah, there are admins that, that you know, if you didn't have email, which at that time, let's say, I hate to date myself unnecessarily, but I think you and I probably both came of age in the pre-email days, is that... that uh, you know, the admins just, <laughs> yeah, can I leave a message for Mr. Jones? Yeah, yeah, sure. And, you know, the message never got there, right? I mean, it was, it, so it took some creativity to say, okay, how am I going to reach this person, right? I mean, I remember go sitting at guys on their cars in the parking lot, for goodness sake, waiting for them to leave office at the end of the day. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, it was just hard. And I think, I think one of the things that we were doing, and unconsciously, I think, is we're, and it sort of goes along with what you're talking about, social selling versus cold calling and so on, is that, we're spending so much time telling people that's oh, it's so hard today. And what people then are doing is they're sort of looking at these as excuses not to do it. Right? Well, I'm, of course, I'm going to gravitate to social selling because, hell, there's three surveys that came out this week that said cold calling's dead. Well, was, you know, cold calling was dead because they took a survey of people that don't want to do it and aren't doing it well. And they say, oh, my gosh, it doesn't work. Yeah, uh, look, I I really agree with what you're saying. Um, in the in in times gone by, you'd face a whole lot of gatekeepers um, in order to try and get to somebody. And now, typically, people don't have an EA, but they but they do have voicemail, and they just sure. don't get back to you. Yeah, yeah. That's so, what I'm saying. It's so, just. I'm, yeah. I'm saying we don't serve by making comparisons, saying it's harder. It's it's just hard, right? I mean, it's not any more difficult than it was in the past. It's different. It's hard. And you have to, as you said, you got to bring work ethic and intent to this to really make it happen. Yeah, and it's really a different set of challenges. And one of the really funny things I find is that is I'll often see a salesperson when they do finally get to talk to a live human being on the other end of the phone, they're kind of shocked that they that they managed to get oh, yeah. through to somebody. Yeah, they're stunned, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas if you focus on a person's cell phone, you know, r- rather than the office phone, you'll get a you'll get a much um, higher hit rate. Sure. And as you said, there are tools that are available to help you uncover these in ways that you never could before. So I said, it's it's to me, it's like, you know, it's like saying cold calling is dead. Again, it's just an excuse for people that don't want to do it. They're saying, yeah, I've been told it doesn't work, so so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go do social. And you said, it's really, you got to bring a combination of both to bear. Yeah, and certainly getting getting the attention of somebody is definitely more difficult today because they're just bombarded through so many channels. Well, True. But at the same time, there's research that's that's shown that actually sort of counters that argument that says that actually, believe it or not, people are actually become very adept at sorting through the information they need because we provide, the technology has provided all these tools to help them do it. Google, you know, endless number of view sites, you know, if it's more B2C or, you know, consumer, it's, it's, uh, you know, Amazon. But, you know, Glassdoor, we go on and on about um, yeah. Or G two G two crowd. I'm sorry, but I mean that's it's. There's all these review sites that actually, these researchers at Stanford made the argument that hey, actually it's yeah. There's a lot of information out there, but the tools exist for people to navigate, and actually, perhaps it's not that overwhelming. 
Yeah, I, look, I, 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 I certainly know myself. Every every day I get up, I, you know, when I log on to email, I've got I've got hundreds of emails. Sure. I get I get um, dozens and dozens of emails. Um, and, and the reality for me is, is I gave up a long time ago trying to get to inbox zero. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's just a case of, of, um, browsing and prioritizing what you're doing. And, and for, for, look, here's, here's reality in my view, all of, all of the people worth getting to the ones that really matter for anybody in sales, they're not lonely and bored and looking for a new friend. Um, they're, incre- <laughs> they're, they're incredibly busy and stressed. Um, and if, if they don't know the person running outreach, um, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult to get their attention. So, but, but I agree with you for sellers today, there's an array of tools where you really never have to make a cold call. It's very easy to warm a call up to find a trigger event or context <clears throat> or some kind of referral as a path to mm-hmm. an introduction. You know, all of those things are available to sellers. But what I find is salespeople become paralyzed and also fixated on endlessly doing doing research and doing things in social and and what drops away is the level of activity sure. that's necessary to actually be successful. Well, I think it, it it gets to what point you make is is that they are fearful. So I mean, you have a quote. You said sellers become too passive, quiet, fearful, and lazy, which is a fairly strong strong statement. So I understand the fearful part. We can you know sort of that's been documented. Yeah, let's go spend time on social. It's it's you know somewhat in the direction of where I need to go, quote unquote, but it's not like picking up the phone. So, so what have you seen? I mean, that, that's, you know, convinced you that this, you know, creeping passivity and, and uh, fearfulness in sales. Well, let me, let me give you one example. Um, w- one of my clients here in Sydney, but they're, they're a global operation. Um, so they're actually headquartered out of the U S but uh, I was in their Sydney office. One of their sales guys was telling me that, uh, within the business, if they want to go and do calls to to um, follow up on sales or build pipeline, they're not allowed to do it from the sales floor. They need to actually go and book um, one of the pods or booths uh, that are dedicated to calling. And there's only a small number of those in the office. Um, uh, well, why? Uh, because management d- don't want salespeople that are banging away on the phone, disturbing other people in the office, which, which to me is just an act of insanity. You know, you, <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you, cause you really want to create a bit of a buzz in the office and you, sure. and you want people to be leading by example. Um, uh, there's a, there's, there's another client I was talking to, uh, in, in London, um, actually, sorry, he's another consultant in London that was actually interviewing me on his show. And one of his clients that he went and visited had actually taken, if you can believe this, had taken the phones off the sales floor. They decided to go 100% all in on social selling. Um, so, you know, their, their view was people don't answer the phone anymore anyway, so we're just going to go all in on social. And again, that is the massive act of insanity. We, we need the right combinations of channels and activity if we want to, if we want to go and be successful in sales. And how's that going for that company? Uh, they ended up putting phones back on the sales floor. This, this consultant worked with them to make sure that they did that. It was just crazy. Yeah, and that, as you said, that's just an act of sheer insanity or wishful thinking. And which, <laughs> in almost a clinical, pathological sense, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that is absolute nuts. Um, so, talk about the combinations of right activity. That's you know at the heart of of combo prospecting. So, tell people what you mean by that. Well, what what many salespeople do is is they'll um, uh, 
they'll make a phone call and leave a voicemail and and then they'll think to themselves well I don't want to leave any any more voicemails for the person because it'll seem like I'm desperate um, and they just get too passive and they get too linear in trying to break into an organization so they'll they'll think well I want to get to this person and they just target that one person so what I believe it takes to be successful today and what I'm seeing my clients have huge success with is is adopt a multi-threaded strategy with the right combination. So uh, you use a product like Sales Navigator, you go and identify the power base in an organization, all of the people that, that would matter to you and being able to get a solution into that organization. So the thing we know today, it's uh, it's never one person that makes the decision. It's uh, it's you know up to seven people or groups of people. Um, even a strong leader will want consensus before they'll drive any kind of change. So we've got to identify the, the obviously the most senior person that owns the problem, um, the, the people below them and around them that would be part of achieving consensus to make the decision. And then we need to go at all of those people concurrently is really my view. And if any of those people b- bumped into another one in their organization and said, hey, is that Tony Hughes guy? Has he left a message for you too? If you know That to me is a really good thing, not a bad thing, if you have the right narrative. So, so what people need to do you know, with, with the right combinations is they need to phone their cell phone, leave a voicemail message, send an email, send an, an email, and even in the initial outreach, also send a text message. So you want the person thinking, man, this person is determined. I, I may as well get back to them because because the, they're going to keep contacting me. And if you've got the right narrative so that you don't come across as a sales pest, if you've actually got value for them in the conversation, because the way that salespeople need to think is that is that I'm going to provide value for the person in the conversation, the initial conversation I have, rather than act like the only time that they will get value is if they buy from me. Um, so, so we need to do those things really, really well, and we need we need to do them in short succession. So it all needs to happen within about ninety seconds, two minutes per outreach. Um, and every time you leave the office each day, you need to make sure you don't leave the office without knowing exactly what that call list is for first thing in the morning. So what I recommend to people is is that they they get, get into their office by quarter to eight in the morning. So before the people that they're trying to reach are subsumed into endless meetings all day, um, that they're on the phone to them while they're traveling into work or before they get into those meetings. And you create you create the habit of doing that every single day. Um, because again, what I see with salespeople is they'll have these flurries of activity to try and go and build pipe because they've, they've either missed their number or they can see that they're about to. So they'll have all of this prospecting activity and pipeline generation activity. And then once they get a little bit of a decent pipe, they then back off and they just they, they focus on trying to progress those opportunities and they neglect prospecting. But the reality is it needs to happen every single day as a disciplined habit. Well, but given what's going on with sort of the influx of data into sales, you know, there's a whole swath of, of sales reps that feel oppressed by, you know, these activity metrics that are meant to keep up and that their managers are pinging them on consistently. So it seems like there's, you know, two populations, you know, <laughs> I read about one that's feeling overwhelmed and oppressed by sort of, like I said, the the uh, the KPIs metrics that have to be up, you know, upholding. As you're saying, some that are just too passive and clearly aren't being managed the same way. Well, I think salespeople confuse being busy with being effective, right? So, so it's it's very easy to to fill your day with activities, and and the thing to me is that um, in every sales role I've ever had in in my 35 year career, I've always wanted to know what are the input numbers 
that will create success for me in a very consistent manner. Right. So, you know, how many how many phone calls do I need to make? How many proposals? How many demos? You mm-hmm. know, it, it obviously depends on the sort of thing that you're selling in the marketplace, mm-hmm. but but every individual should want to know what they num- what those numbers are and they shouldn't feel oppressed by their manager or the numbers themselves. They should embrace them because it's what's going to create the success. The, one of the biggest mistakes that managers and salespeople make is they try and manage by results. But you can't really pull a revenue lever. We, you know, Jason Jordan in his book Cracking the Sales mm-hmm. Management Code talks about this issue of we can only manage the activities that feed into sales objectives that then create results. You can't manage the results themselves. Yep. Can't manage outcomes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you came up with a, a new sales law, which I thought was interesting, the law of principal disinterest. So tell people what you mean by that. Well, the thing we don't want is is to really be desperate. Um, it's the quickest way to repel anybody. So again, people that don't have big, fat pipelines become very desperate with the prospects that they're working with. So um, one of the posts I wrote that uh, has, I think it's had about 300,000 reads now, um, was called uh, uh, How to Be the Hottest One at the Bar. Um, and it was really that analogy. But uh, if, if you come across as, as overly eager or desperate, you really push people away. Um, and it's the same in prospecting and in selling is the way we want to come across is that we're looking for someone where there's genuinely a really good fit, um, you know, where we can absolutely help them, where, where we make the most sense for them to work with, uh, for them to be able to achieve a better state. The way that salespeople need to feel about selling is that, is that what they're really doing is they're helping people achieve a far better state of affairs in their business and and their and their personal lives. Um, and if if that's not the case, then they're happy to move on to somebody else because um, the, the abundance mindset that they need is is that there is no shortage of prospects out there for them to talk to. There's just a shortage of hours in the day for them to go and be effective. Um, and 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 that's really that principle. So stop being desperate. And you can do that by having a really good, large, well-qualified pipeline and then focus on those where there's really strong alignment, where you can create value and where you've got alignment within time frame and with how they're going to evaluate, select and procure so that um, you know, you're not unnecessarily pressuring people. Well, I think you really sort of hit one of the nails on the head that you see in sales is that Statistics, yeah, depending on who you believe, that you know, anywhere between fifty and eighty percent of opportunities, the qualified opportunities in the pipeline, end up with no decision. You know, clearly, yeah. you have this instance where salespeople have just doing exactly what you said is too few prospects, and as a result, they desperately cling to the ones they have. Yeah, exactly. And the reality is, if 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 you're not a good fit for the person that you're talking to, then 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 there's nothing wrong with qualifying out. It's not about trying to force some unnatural act with another person. It is genuinely about helping them. Well, yeah, and you have to be proactive about disqualifying these people from your pipeline. So we sort of end up talking all the time about, as you said here, is, is 3 to 5x coverage of your number in your pipeline. So sort of run through some of the basic disciplines you think you need to get to get there. Well, so, so you need to know what a what a dream prospect really looks like. So, um, you know, one of the things to me is that um, salespeople can tend to go and do loss reviews to try and learn from that. And there's value in doing a loss review, but the most powerful thing to do is win reviews. Win reviews. Oh, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah 100%. when you go to win. Yeah, when you do a win review, that there's a really important question to ask, and that is, hey, could you just tell me what happened inside your own organization? that caused you to start to go down the path where you ended up buying 
something like like what you did for me. So what you're not asking is why did you buy from me and not the competition? What you're wanting to understand is what was the trigger event inside their own organization that started them down the path. And what that does is it it helps you understand what type of conversations uh, th- that you need to have with people and what trigger events to look for. And, and because the reality is, is that the fastest path to revenue and the highest probability of a sale is through trigger events and referrals. And if, if you can get combinations of those things happening, you dramatically in- increase the probability of success. So, so the, the first big thing for salespeople is, is understand what, what, what the trigger events are in the world of your clients that can enable you to engage early uh, and start to actually be be strategic by helping them with their business case and starting to set the agenda around value and create some sort of bias in their requirements that actually increases your probability of winning. Obviously, always act in the best interest of the client, but but that's a really important thing to do. Understand what a great c- customer looks like and what are the trigger events that create interest. Yeah, I think perhaps the best line in your book, and I'm just going to read it, is um, I thought was a quote. Being able to look yourself in the mirror and respect what you see is everything. Selling is not about me or my success. It's about my customer and my commitment to helping them achieve a far better state of affairs in their business and their personal life. And yeah, I think that ties to that. If you don't have that service orientation, first of all, why are you in sales? Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's it it's it's not about you being being an Uber quota crushing sales rep and driving a Porsche, right? It's about genuinely helping other people. So we talked about the pipeline, and but one of the things I think that gets lost when we talk about pipeline, and, and I certainly see this in, in many segments, is actually their conversion rate, their close rates are dropping. Forrester's talked about this. Uh, we've seen it in the SaaS business. Their close rates are dropping. So yeah, having the pipelines, certainly you need to have healthy pipeline, but isn't another way to take pressure out of you know, selling, having to sell to close more deals is to, or take pressure out of selling is to actually close more deals? be more effective, more efficient? It, it absolutely is. And w- one of the other problems that the SaaS industry is facing is that average deal size is getting smaller as well. Um, and if, if, if you dig into, well, why are people getting lower, lower close rates? Um, I, I believe, and in the work I'm doing with clients, I'm, I'm seeing an increase in, in business being lost to non-decision. People are choosing to stay in current state. And um, you know, one of the big challenges we have with buyers is because they do have access to more and more information. They themselves can tend to get paralysed, and then as they engage with sellers, the the buyer themselves discovers a whole lot of information that they hadn't thought thought about, and it, it causes them to actually pause. Um, so, so here's the thing: um, I actually believe that the way we open is far more important than the way we seek to close a deal. Mm-hmm. So, so if we can open in a way that really anchors business case value, where the seller can talk the language of leaders, which is which is numbers and percentages and dollars where they can talk about delivering outcomes and managing risk, where they can get focused on what the business case would you know, would look like and how the organization would manage the change management piece. Uh, I believe you get far less deals fail to close because you know, you've anchored the business case value early in the conversation, which gives them the reason to actually go ahead. And you become the emotional favorite for the buying organization because you're the one that educated them um, and and the, you you become the one that they want to do business with, right? But don't we have this this sort of disconnect that exists in many sales organizations? We're seeing this increasingly in inside sales organizations where they have their least experienced people doing the outreach that 
would constitute those opens. Well, so, see, so, the, so the least capable people of being able to provide the value, as you described it, are the ones that are the first to contact. Yeah, so, so having um, inside sales, outbound sales development reps, I mean, most people call these people SDRs, I, I think is a really valuable role. And um, but, but here's the reality. I agree with you. If you're targeting CXO style of contacts, if you're trying to sell to the CFO or the CIO in an organization, you need to be able to carry the conversation really well And because the way we open is so important. So my personal view is that SDRs should not be trying to set appointments with really senior buyer roles for someone else to go and turn up. So I, I think there's there's absolutely a role f- for SDRs, and if they're calling into the lower and middle ranks of an organization, that's okay. And if they're profiling the organization up, um, populating the CRM, in other, in other words, mm-hmm. working really, really closely with a field person, I think that's a great model. So once you get away from more transactional commodity, commodity style of selling, um, I really think that the field BDMs need to be doing their own calling. Um, so it's not a case of don't have SDRs, like you, you need them. But uh, the thing for a field salesperson, uh, business development manager, is that no amount of marketing qualified leads or inside sales SDR leads is going to give them enough opportunity for them to make their annual number. So they've got to go and build their own pipe as well. Everybody needs to be on the phone and prospecting and, and running outreach in all of the channels. I agree. I agree. All right. So last question for you. And um, you have some statistics in the book about how few sales reps actually make their quotas. And you quote you know, from CEB and CSO Insights, Task Group, and you talk about clients that you know, talked about failure to reach quota anywhere from 75 to 80% of their sales teams. So what's the real problem there? Well, apart, <laughs> I'm going to be facetious here, but apart from the insanity of companies that uh, uh, in- increase the, the quota by 25% to a third every year and half the territory on sales reps because they have this crack cocaine addiction <laughs> to endless growth. Okay, good. I just, I just wanted right. that. Okay, I'm glad you went there. I didn't know how you were going to answer that, so that's why I was asking. Go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's a number of ways to try and allocate territories and quotas, right? Um, and, and the really difficult but necessary way is to size the available market, really assess, a terri- assess the territory and the accounts in it, and look at where the growth is going to be and then allocate the resources accordingly. And the really lazy way is to say, hey, people had this number last year. Who cares whether they made it or not? We, we need to go ahead and put and put the number up and hire more people. Um, th- there are organizations out there, Andy, which this is kind of a crazy when you hear this. I'm not sure whether you've come across it as well, but they'll implement this concept called expense management where they deliberately set the sales force up for the majority to miss their number because mm-hmm. it means means that they'll have to pay less commission and they won't be paying commission at accelerator levels. Yep. Um, so, yep. yeah, you've seen this too, yes, right? Yes, so, for years. And yeah, because I've, I've, I've talked with leaders of organizations and, and, and I've asked them the question, what – what percentage of your salespeople are actually hitting the number? And you know, and when you hear that it's low, you say, well, how does that really impact the business? So you start to peel this back and explore it. And and I found, well, you know, it's it's it, it's really not that big an issue. So long as a salesperson is profitable for us 
and we're growing the overall revenue, you know, we're actually okay with that. And for me, I'm not okay with that. I, I just, I don't think that's a good state of affairs at all. So why not? It's, so, ins- it's insane. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, and also what you do is you sort of stigmatize, you know, 90 to 80, 89% of your sales team as people that, you know, are underperformers, right? Whereas if quota was rationally allocated, chances are you might get people, you know, one of the real basic performance or tenets of performance management is you need to give people a chance to experience success. And having experienced success, they're not likely to take a step backwards. Yeah, look, it's very... Very true. Very true. And one of the other things I see is that organisations will have their their field sellers will will win a client, but but as is the trend today, uh, especially with software as a service, is that clients will want to start small initially and then grow. Mm-hmm. So what they'll do is they'll they'll win the client and then it'll be handed over to to basically a customer success team or an account right. management team again that's paid a far lower rate of commission. It's a lower cost way of selling and growing the account but the field bdm has still got this huge number but there's no recognition of the lifetime value of the customer that they win so this is last question so is there something we could use other than quota to measure performance and productivity of sales um no i i I think you've got to stay focused on revenue um you know it's it really is the metric that matters but I think we need to recognize the lifetime value of a client, and we need to recognize that the way people are buying today has changed. People are starting smaller and growing with the organization, and and lifetime value of customers is very real. And uh, and we also need to to tie into this making clients market advocates for us beyond them just just renewing with us, um, you know, with a particular service or solution that we sell. Okay. Well, Tony, fantastic. Um... Gosh, I wish, <laughs> wish we had more time to talk. Maybe we'll have you back. We won't wait another 300 episodes to have you back. So um, tell folks how they can find out more about you and, and buy your book. Yeah, so Andy, uh, I've got a keynote, uh, a keynote speaker website, which is tonyhughes.com.au. My sales methodologies are at rsvpselling.com. Uh, and you've got a sneak peek of Combo Prospecting, but it's actually being published by Amacom out of New York, and it'll be available around Christmas time, January 2018. Okay. Well, by the time this episode comes out, I think it would probably be on, available for pre-sale. If that's the case, make sure you go to Amazon and order your copy. So, Tony, again, thanks for being here. Friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Make sure you come back again tomorrow for another great episode of Accelerate. Until then, if you haven't done so already, right, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe to the show, leave a review. I want to hear from you what I can do to make this a better experience for you. So thanks for joining me. Till next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>